Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm just trying to get out of the hood before it crushes me. We are continuing on this week with our second episode in the Rappers Turned Actor series with the first one that is actually going to involve a rapper or two rappers, both in minor roles. Because, hey, like we said last week, it's a series Rob chose, so we're grasping at straws to make it work. But even though we're keeping the connective tissue going in a very loose way, we, of course, are talking about some great, great stuff. I think this is a great juxtaposition to what we discussed last week in Uncut Gems, something that got a, a good bit of buzz, maybe a lot of buzz, if I remember what we talked about correctly, to something that nobody has ever heard about. I think that's the correct way to say this. We are discussing, of course, Thriller. And no, not the Michael Jackson video. Had to make that joke. The movie from... 2018, 2019, I do want to talk a little bit about its release before we get into the film, but it is a slasher film produced by Blumhouse that is, as I read on an IMDb review, prom night in the ghetto. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be, you know, because literally this is a, a fully African-American movie. I think the only white people we see are extras. And we have nothing against that here on Cinemodities, but it is very similar premise to Prom Night from what I've read, but it takes place at Compton High School. Before we can get into our thoughts on this movie, of course, I feel the best way to start with this series of rappers turned actor is, well, what rappers do we have in this movie? We actually have two, like I said, both in supporting roles. The first one is the RZA. From Wu-Tang Clan, who plays Principal Hurd, and he's also my favorite part of the movie. But we also have the Lady of Rage, who's a rapper from kind of, you know, maybe before, a little before our time, Zach, who plays Chauncey's mother, who is doing her best Sarah Palmer impression, getting drunk at home watching TV. The only scene we're missing is her ripping her face off, right? Yeah, (laughs) don't give that away. Oh, no, that's a, another that's, spoiler. That's that's a beautiful <laughs> sequence. That is a beautiful, beautiful moment in that series. Oh, yeah, that de- definitely. So so we have these two, and we'll talk about RZA as we go further on into uh, this episode. But because I know him as RZA, and I've seen him in some other things, he's of course, this is the first movie he's ever acted in, um, I did want to take a quick detour to talk about the RZA's aliases. And I don't know if Zach is familiar with this, but Riz has been around for a while, and uh, he has a lot of different aliases that he's gone by, whether it be through features or when he's worked with different artists and things like that. But I did want to do a quick rundown of the list I've gathered of his aliases. And of course, Riza, spelt, you know, R-Z-A, he also goes by Prince Rakim, The Abbot, Bobby Digital, Bobby Steels, The Scientist, Prince Delight. Prince Dynamite, Resurrector, which I really like, and probably my favorite, Ruler Zigzag Zig Allah. <laughs> I, had, I had never heard of that last one until the research for this movie, and I was kind of like, oh, oh okay, I, I'll get behind that, you know, sure. But 
we'll have to talk about his role more in this movie. Um, but I, I don't think we can do his role justice or any of the roles in this movie justice until we actually discuss what it's about. And one more step before we can do that, we have to talk about, well, how the hell do we go from uncut gems to thriller? How do we go from a movie with buzz to a movie that got dumped on Netflix? Was it Netflix or Hulu? It was Netflix from what I found. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes. And actually, very surprisingly, uh, since since we're talking about the distribution on Netflix, uh, this, from my research, I found it was dropped on Netflix on April 14th of 2019. So, Zach, huh. we're not quite on an anniversary, not at the one year. We are recording this 51 weeks since its release. So we're, <laughs> we're, we've missed the anniversary by one week, not oh, for release, geez. but for recording. But I'll I'll take it. So we have to know, or we want our audience to know, well, how did we find this? And I think the best way to say it is movies get mislabeled all the time. Whether it be on accident, (laughs) usually through a metadata program. I know a lot of stuff that I've gotten from people. They have a a metadata aggregator to to label their files and gather subs and and trailers. and, And I don't understand that, but they do it and it mislabels things. It changes file names. So whether it be by accident or with the malicious intent of, say, rickrolling somebody, or with the positive intent of getting somebody to find these movies, we don't know. This was a movie that Zach and I found that was mislabeled. Mm-hmm. It was labeled as Ad Astra. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, I've, I still haven't seen Ad Astra. I know you saw it, Zach, in theaters. It couldn't be any more different from that movie, right? <laughs> just, just a smidge. Just a smidge. <laughs> Just, you know, it might be one degree off. <laughs> one one uh, letter in the DNA strand, you go from Ad Astra to Thriller. But this was, of course, something we got, and it was Ad Astra, and we were like, okay, cool, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think I pulled open the file, and I started to skim through it, and I saw some things that looked nothing like Ad Astra, and I actually watched the first bit, and I was like, oh, this is not Ad Astra. This is Thriller. What is Thriller. I did a little looking into it, saw the synopsis, saw that it was a Netflix thing. You know, it kind of didn't get a lot of attention. And I just kind of filed it away. Whenever I get a movie by accident, I kind of put it on a list in the back of my head to say, hey, I got to check it out. Like I said, whether it be by accident or someone did this with a a purposeful intent of mislabeling this, you know, I got to watch these movies that wouldn't have come into my field of view for any other reason. And for for seriousness, I never would have watched this movie otherwise. I, I'm not a Netflix user. I'm a Hulu user. Um, I never would have watched something that was classified just as a slasher, uh, especially a teen slasher. It takes place around homecoming for high school students. So I gave it a shot. You know, one night I had the time. It's only like, what, 90 minutes long. I threw it on. And I didn't go back digging through our text messages, Zach, but I'm pretty sure that after I watched this, even if I might have texted you about a few scenes while I was or told you I was watching it, I'm pretty sure that after it ended, I texted you 11 out of 10 American masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> and upon my second viewing for this recording, I watched it yesterday, I, I'm going to change my opinion a little more and I'm going to say 12 out of 10 cliche masterpiece. <laughs> I. I'm, this is going to come up when we answer our questions at the end of this episode, but I have to say, upon my first viewing, and now solidified by my second viewing, I am 
literally baffled, almost. Well, I was about to say almost speechless. I'm not speechless because I'm about to. I'm about to harp on this movie. I am shocked that something this cliche can exist. There is no moment, no scene, no frame in this movie that is not wrought with something I've seen before millions of times. It is almost nauseating, but I think I've broken through the the ad nauseum cliches to just look at it in complete bewilderment. And and I think that's what I want to ask you first, Zach, and I think you said it before we even started, the cliche or the superficial nature of this movie, th- this is this is all that it is, right? There, there's almost a, I guess to relate back to um, Claws when we watched that, your snack for Claws was the the wrapper oh, yes. of, a, of a potato chip bag. You know, you, you can eat it and gain no nutrition and it might cut you up on its way out. Would you kind of describe this as the same way? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's as offensive as Claws Oh, is. no, it's, it's definitely not. It's, it's more on the the vacuous side. Oh uh, yeah, it's it it feels like the equivalent of like off-brand like Lay's potato chips you get like at the Dollar Tree. Oh, that's a really good way to put it because that's like I said, I've seen all of this before in different movies, and I I'm just blown away by it. It's the off-brand potato chips, you know. It's the RC Cola of movies. You've tasted it before. You've seen the packaging before. It just has a different name on it. And when I when I first started forming this opinion and I was getting baffled by it, I'm like, okay, when we when we discuss this movie, when we get into the recording, I'm going to have to do some research and understand exactly. Well, like my first question was, how do you as a director, as a production team, how do you look at the script or a screenplay like this and say, I want to make it? That, that's kind of where I started getting baffled because how do you not look at this and go, there's no substance here? And this is where I kind of feel a little bad because Dallas Jackson, the director of this movie, in his directorial debut, also gets a producer credit and also gets a screenplay credit. And it's produced by Blumhouse. Blumhouse, of course, I know we talked about a little bit before. They'll produce almost anything, you know, some some of that superficial nature for sure. But I kind of started to feel bad that I wanted to dunk on the cleat. And don't don't get me wrong. I might feel bad, but I'm still going to do it. But Dallas Jackson apparently had a very strong personal connection to this film. And I don't know a lot about the history of Dallas Jackson. and that, that might play a role into this movie. Um, because it is, you know, like I even said in my intro, we're just trying to get out of the hood before it crushes us. Apparently, he had a very strong connection to it, so much so that I don't know if Zach noticed, there is a lot of writing in the credits of this film near the end of him thanking people, saying how this was his dream. He's so glad he was able to make it and his dream was realized. And I'm watching this and I'm going like, oh, I'm still going to criticize you, but I feel a little bad now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah this this movie as a whole after that, a lovely introduction. It was I, I, 
I kind of knew what I was getting myself involved with because, as we've talked about before, Red Letter Media, in, in the last maybe month or two, they did an entire video on three uh, random Blumhouse yeah. movies. Those those were the Hulu ones. I think yes. that might be what you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I thought all of it went to Hulu. I thought it was all just like a dumping ground. And that's what, I, after I had that level of context, I'm like, oh, that's what this is. It's just content. It's it's filler. It's kind of the, uh, I think in the Red Letter Media thing, they describe it as like a bin of food at a buffet. Okay. It's just oh, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's not the type of stuff that people go for. It's not the ribs. It's not the macaroni and cheese. It's like the weird sort of like, oh God, like vegetable medley. They're like, <laughs> you're not, no one's going to really order that. It's just there because we need, we need something there. The thing and that, that barely gets touched, yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it gets thrown away. And that's where, like, I kind of, like, I'm both happy and sad for the director. Because I'm mm-hmm. happy that he got to, he, he was given money, he was given a casting crew, and he was able to make a movie that he wanted to. And, but he, had, and he was able to get RZA on board, because not only does RZA act in this movie, he does the music for the movie, too. He's He's like the sound designer. Yeah, and that's where it's like, you know what? Like, even though, but, that, but that's good. But I think there's a sad part of like, okay, this was not made because anybody had any sort of, they believed in the film. It was because we just need content. Yeah, that that's sure how it seemed to me. And from what I found, it seemed like the director, maybe maybe everybody else knew they were pumping out contact, content and this director really believed in it. That's, and I think, well, I don't even know if he be- saw this content. Somebody has like, wants to be a filmmaker and this is their shot to do it obviously oh, oh has- yeah th- that's what i'm saying he 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 believed in it but kind of the whole rest of the production team didn't I well yeah that's the that's it's the a job yeah i think that's what it is it's a job and the film like the film is like like when rob gave this to me and when i obviously heard about it during the whole ad astra scenario i was really expecting like kind of like a mess like a mess with a capital m <laughs> and I'm watching this, and after the first like 15 minutes, I'm like, "Oh, it's just, it's filler." I'm like, "This isn't anything yes. to get like, this is nothing to get excited about or upset about." It's really kind of just, it's it's a vegetable medley at a golden corral. That's essentially what it is. It's like mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt you, and the nutritional value is negligible at best. A combination of things you've seen millions of times before put together. In a way you've seen millions of times before. Before, <laughs> not wrong, not wrong. Oh, oh, and so, so I, I did want to say with the with the content aspect because, um, like we said, you know, this got distribution uh, fifty one weeks ago at the time of this recording, uh, April fourteenth, twenty nineteen. It did premiere at the LA Film Festival on September twenty third, two thousand eighteen. And I think, you know, it premiered there and it, it maybe it didn't get great reviews. I couldn't really find any history on that. Um, but it, then it found its distribution, you know, less than a year later on Netflix. Um, I I couldn't find a budget for this movie, which I was very interested in. But what I did find was multiple sources on the Internet telling me that this movie got a theatrical release. In and Portugal, when I found, right? In Portugal. That's the thing that blew my mind. I was like... I was like, oh, yeah, because I was looking at the like, box office mojo, the numbers, IMDb, all this stuff, and all these other articles, and it was like, 
and it was I, I kept seeing a, a a gross like a box office gross, and I'm like, how could it make that money if it went to Netflix? And I found that this got a release on February seventh of this year, 2020, in Portugal. And are you ready for this, Zach? It got released to a whopping. I don't even know if we can comprehend how big this number is. Six theaters. <laughs> yep. And it Sounds made all right. It made one thousand one hundred and eighty-eight dollars. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I thought that was that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, yeah, and part of that is that clearly they got distribution somewhere, which is again nice for them. Yeah, and especially, oh, yeah. but but also had the unfortunate uh, thing of being released during a uh, epidemic, mm-hmm. and that certainly didn't do it any favors or the precipice of an epidemic. So, uh, yeah, that's. It's comical, but we really shouldn't be laughing. Yeah, I know that. I think that might be the thesis of this whole thing is that you know, even though we're going to make fun of some of this movie in the background, it's like, man, I Dallas Jackson, the director, the producer, the writer, he he's not a bad dude, you know. And and I guess on that on that same um, you know point, uh, apparently he has directed and wrote, and it's already finished. It's in post production, and even has a release date, I think, or a release month. The upcoming Netflix movie, Welcome to Sudden Death, which as far as I can tell is a sequel to the 1995 Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Sudden Death. So he did get work after Thriller. And maybe, I think it's June. I didn't write it down, but I think it's June in Netflix from what I read. That's going to come out sometime. And, you know, maybe um, we'll have to see how that goes when i don't know what are we going to download from this year there's no movies this year so <laughs> how can you mislabel it you know <laughs> exactly exactly rob how can i screw it up this time oh man all right so so yes i think we set our our thesis uh, straightforward and i think we now have to get into the um the complete cliche that this movie is and i think you know i'm gonna even preface zach with this nobody knows about this movie from what i've been able to tell so we need to give a little bit of a plot synopsis, right? Yes, I tried looking into this movie and I couldn't find anything of substance. It was just kind of, yeah. it kind of just exists. Yes. So this movie starts um, with uh, the worst child actors you've ever seen pulling a prank on a kid. A bunch of popular kids get together and they want to pull a prank on this other kid. And uh, of course, the prank goes wrong. One of the children ends up dying. And the kid, they end up blaming the kid that they pulled the prank on, kind of the victim in it, and he gets arrested. He goes to juvie or jail, it's never made clear, but he goes, he gets arrested, he goes into, you know, the the system, I guess is the best way to put it. And then the whole rest of the movie takes place four years later on the week leading up to homecoming for Compton High School. And it starts with the kid at the beginning getting released from the system. And all the other kids that were involved in the prank that ruined this other one's life. Chauncey, he's the only name I actually know in the movie, so let's use it. Chauncey, (laughs) the one who went to jail, he gets released, and all the other kids find out that Chauncey's back, and they're very nervous about it, and slowly, and when when I say slowly, I mean slowly, we get somebody killing people in the neighborhood, and they all think it's Chauncey. They think Chauncey is out for revenge. And it's a thriller! Ha! And it all culminates with homecoming night, the homecoming dance, in which the killer is unmasked in the most Scooby-Doo style you could imagine. The only thing they're missing was a dog. And we get the big twist at the end of the movie. 
And I, I don't know the exact, if you want to maybe, uh, there's certainly some scenes I want to talk about, but I think, you know, spoiler, as all our conversations are going to be, uh, uh, Cinematis have been and will be, I want to ask you, Zach, how quickly did you figure out the twist? How quickly did you fill, figure out the killer, I guess is the question I have for you. I, I kind of, I didn't, I kind of saw the flow with this movie. I was not trying to unravel it in any way. I figured it, it's it's kind of like I don't want to. Why, why spoil the fun? Okay, okay, that's fair. I do want to put it in perspective that when I watched this movie the first time, I think I said this to Zach not through text but off mic that uh, this movie's eighty-seven minutes long. Um, you know, a few minutes less if you count the, if you take out the credits. Um, but the the plot of the movie gets going pretty quickly once you know it's maybe 15, 17 minutes in that you know that it's kind of going to be this slasher film. And, you know, they're they're very clearly making you believe it's Chauncey who got released and he's going for vengeance. I it took me till the 32 minute mark the first time I watched this movie for me to figure out the killer the, correctly. I mean, because I had some guesses before that, but then I was literally sitting here the first time I watched it and I was watching it, not taking notes, just letting it, you know, go past my eyes. And I went, oh, and then I pick up my remote. I look at the timestamp and I go, why the fuck did it take me that long to figure that out? (laughs) I should have figured that out 10 minutes ago. And I was almost disappointed that I didn't figure out the twist faster. I actually, I didn't really mind that. I, you knew there was some some angle to all this. They but, do give you the red herrings, of course. We'll we'll have to talk sure. about the "I miss you every day, sister." It's okay, I miss you too. Doing the red rum finger in the mirror, almost. Yep. Yep. <laughs> No, they're 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 trying to set things up, but for the like, that's the thing about this movie though is that it's just like it's innocuous. That's the problem. It's like I have a hard time going after this movie, and before how you even preface this with the idea of the director finally getting to make a movie, mm-hmm. it's just that like this is like everybody's trying. Like, is it is it wooden? Oh yeah, definitely. Ooh. But it's 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 an, it's there's a level of sincerity from the cast and crew. Maybe not from the story. But there's definitely sincerity from the I, actors. I think that's why I love it so much. I don't love it on the sense of a, you know, like a Shining or an, a Hudsucker proxy, like some just to think of the things that come to my head. I love it because it's it's owning what it is. The, it, it's, it's really, I, I don't even know if I want to say it knows what it is, even though while I think it does, I don't think that's why I love it. It's owning it because even like we said in that whole beginning when the kids pull the prank and one of the and the and the girl dies the twin sister of the um the slutty girl from later on and i i have to say i'm sorry if this ever makes it to anybody who watched this movie i don't know or anybody who made this movie i don't know the characters names i just know their personality traits (laughs) because that's all we have we have chauncey but then we have drunk mom uh conflicted girl from what happened football player Vengeant girl, tough kid, bad principal. Well, he's principal herd because he's the RZA. So I guess that's the other exception. <laughs> no, I'm very sorry that when I say slutty girl, I don't know her name. That because that's all she is. She is one dimensional. The whole movie going, 
I want to fuck this rapper. I want to fuck this rapper. And I'm like, oh, my God. But anyway, the sister of the <laughs> slutty girl dies in the beginning. And then they all go, they're like, they're going to put us away for this. Like, oh, no, this is terrible. And they all do the mob mentality of, no, Chauncey did it. Chauncey did it. And the next shot is Chauncey being, like, taken out in cuffs. His mother screaming and crying in the background. And a cop comes up to him in the most ridiculous way possible and goes, you're going to pay for what you did. I can't stand bullies. And it's just like, you're going to pay for what you did, boy. I can't stand bullies. Put him in the car. The irony is, is slathered on like, like butter on cold bread. Like, it's not spreading anywhere. It's not seeping in. It's just dropped on your face. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's it's, uh, so it's corny. <laughs> it's corny, and that's what makes it unique. Oh, absolutely. And that that's going to be a lot of the scenes that I pick out because there's so much that is just so, like I said earlier, I think the best way to say it is cliche. And we'll have to talk about some of those scenes. But, of course, I guess to, uh, to pull, the, pull the veil away, um, in the in the opening scene, when that prank happens, you know, you have all these young kids, and Chauncey's Chauncey. He's the only one that's separate from them, not wearing the same clothes that they all are. Because, you know, do you get it? He's wearing the same clothes he's going to wear four years later when he gets out of jail, just bigger. And you have all the all the details of the kids established, where, you know, once that kid gets pushed off the balcony and is dead, you have the slutty girl as a young girl go, they killed my sister. And then you have the DJ guy go, Oh, like I liked her. Like she, she was my girlfriend or something ridiculous like that. And that's who the murderer is in the end. It's the one who got his love killed at the end of the day. And I guess that's where I want to start because, you know, this, this movie is, you know, that that's the crux of this movie. Sure. You got some good relationship banter, when I say good, I mean meat of the movie. You got the whole, you know, kind of uh, the 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 crime at the who done it. You know, who's the killer? That's the biggest part of it, and that's the thing that I realized and was upset. I realized too late that, of course, who's going to be getting vengeance on all these kids? It's the guy who lost his first love. You know, it's it's the one who who went along with the plan to blame Chauncey, but is now feeling guilty about it years later. And that was just so obvious to me. And that's who it is, and he is DJ Kid, as far as I know. Yeah. I can I can describe <laughs> yes. him as because whenever we see him, he's even in the first scene when he's in his room, he's pretending to be a DJ and asking somebody to prom, who's later going to turn out to be Slutty Girl, and then he's the DJ at the. Oh my God, we have to talk about the house party scene. The house party yes. might be the most simplest, basic house party tried to look like a rave I've ever seen. And then he's the DJ at Homecoming. And he's just DJ kid. <laughs> yeah. With no character. Exactly. As they all are. So I guess the the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, just kind of before we jump into specific characters and specific scenes, one of the things that was once again, I think, cliche about this film, but really drove me crazy. Like a lot of the cliches I was like laughing my ass off about with how unapologetic they were and how direct they were. One of the things that was cliche that I didn't like was the fact that for the whole movie, 
not even the just the introduction, because it happened in the introduction of all the characters. Because, of course, you know, like I said, we get a time jump after the prank. Four years later, they're all in high school. Every single time we see our characters, we get a flashback to the opening prank to show us that they were there. And this really bothered me, because I think that's the one thing you don't need to remind the audience of. There were like eight kids involved in the original prank and Chauncey. Chauncey's the one that gets out of jail. The rest of them stayed free. The movie only focuses on eight characters. Of course it's the eight from the beginning. We don't need a flashback every seven minutes to remind us of which one was which. That really grated on me. Did that Did that give you any problems? Uh, again, it's they're trying to make the movie... As digestible as possible. And I think there's also a certain level of padding the runtime here. Oh, that I'm glad you bring that up because I definitely got that. Because for for um, a girl that has a problem, or kind of kind of our main character, the one that Chauncey like led Chauncey into the trap and didn't really want to at the beginning, um, the one who is who eventually wins Homecoming Queen, um, she's the one who we get the most flashbacks for and the most like. She has nightmares about what happened and stuff like that. And then throws her medicine away in that last scene. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. But yeah. but that, that's padding the runtime. Like, there's a dream sequence that we get from her that is almost like a good 15% of the opening scene. And it's egregious. I I didn't think it was egregious. Like it's no, it's, it's it's that's the only thing that really grated on me in that in this movie was the amount of times we flash back to the kids. And I'm like, I get it. I know she was there. I know how she feels. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's it's trying to flesh out the characters, but it's not in the most Oh god. In possibly the most inefficient way possible. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. It, it's trying to do it while trying to pad the runtime, and it comes off as blatantly obvious that you're trying. They're trying both cases for sure. Mm-hmm. They're trying to play both sides of the field. Absolutely. So, so I guess um, just to to go through some of my notes because they get they get more ridiculous as time goes on. Uh, those are my biggest problems. I think everything else about this movie is kind of a scene by scene basis, or at least an interaction of characters basis, because we do have a a good bit of characters. And like I said, they're all one dimensional. Um, the, the thing that really kind of solidified, you know, the first time I saw this movie, you know, what's happening in that opening scene, all the kids are gathered around and they're like, you know, even one of them drops the word retard as they describe Chauncey. And, and you know that they're be, they're going to bully him and they're going to play this prank on him. And it's obvious that they're going to try, like something's going to go wrong and someone's going to get hurt or, and die. And that's exactly what happens. So, I knew it right off the bat what was happening. When the when the movie takes the four-year jump, I'm like, okay, you know, uh, what's going to happen? We're going to get the slasher stuff. Maybe we'll get some good violence, some good gore, and, uh, you know, let's see how the movie goes. And I still have the open mind. And like I said earlier, after that four-year time jump, Chauncey gets out of jail, juvie, the system, whatever, and he goes back to his mother's house. And we get this, or his house, him and his mother's house. We get the scene where he gets out of the system and what I think during the opening credits, maybe some of the music, we see him kind of walking along the streets of Compton, of L.A., and all that stuff. And he goes up to the, the, the house, the door of the house, and he knocks on it. And from the inside, we hear his mother, the Lady of Rage, the rapper we talked about earlier, going, I don't want any! 
you can't sell me your shit. Go away. I don't want any of this. She opens the door. We get another maybe 20 seconds of her screaming the same exact thing, but now we can see her, and she's holding a vodka bottle in her hand. And then out of nowhere, she's like, wait, Chauncey? Is it you? You're back, my baby. Chauncey's back. Okay, first question, Zach. How the fuck does Chauncey's own mother not know when he's getting out of jail? <laughs> how is she not aware of that? Maybe, maybe, maybe he got released on good behavior. That, that doesn't happen at the drop of a hat. People still have to be notified. You don't just get out out of nowhere for good behavior. That still takes some time. And and sure, maybe Chauncey didn't want anybody to know. But Chauncey was a juvenile. For all intents and purposes, he was in juvie because he got arrested when they were young and all these kids are still in high school. So it could be one of those, you know, manslaughter cases where they go to juvie till they're 18 and then get reevaluated. And he got released. There, There is no way... The mother would not know about that unless the movie is telling us that she is so blackout drunk all the time that she just disregarded all communication about her own son being in jail, which is presumably the cause of her being blackout drunk the entire time. This scene happened, and I'm like, I'm on board. (laughs) If the movie is not going to make this much sense, I am ready. Because this is when at first the seeds started to settle into me going, man. This, this this has now potential to be something great. Something that I can rip apart at every atom of its being. And spoiler alert, folks. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I don't think there is a single scene in this movie that makes sense. I think that it is all cliche. I think that it made me laugh a hysterical amount. We're going to have to get to possibly two of the greatest hard edits in movie history, which come very much later on in the second half of the movie. But once I was, I kind of got in the sense of my head that this movie was going to be nonsense fun, this is where I was like, okay, 11 out of 10, American masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. And to continue from there, just as an example, when we get introduced to um, the girl that's reprehensive about what happened, um, the one that lured Chauncey in, our, our main character almost, her first scene when she's like sitting down and having breakfast and her mother's there and her dad is screaming into the conversation from the bathroom. This, this cliches just start overflowing. Like, like it's almost like the movie is vomiting cliches on us. The family doesn't have enough money to send her to college, but they want to get her a nice homecoming dress. She's dating the uh, best wide receiver on the football team. She gets an acceptance letter from college immediately as she's talking to her mother but no scholarship oh no oh i'm like i'm like almost my head is almost exploding as i'm watching this because it's like how how can the movie be so superficial (laughs) i think it's being super yes it's superficial but i think in a weird way it's trying to appeal to everybody like it's trying to have all these sort of things that people can latch on to but it's doing it in the most basic way possible. I think I'm, that's the issue. There's no, there's no flair to any of these sort of things people can latch on to. I'm glad you bring that up because that's what I was thinking as well. Superficiality, as we've talked about, cliche and superficiality at least, tropes. We've talked about on Cinemodities to some extent saying that that is what appeals to the masses. And I think that's what you're saying here now. You know How, mm-hmm. how, how can you not get to that? I don't – I, I want to say something different. I think that this movie isn't trying to appeal to the masses. It's 
trying to appeal to teenagers. Yeah. And I think I think that's a very specific distinction because, of course, all these cliches and tropes we talk about are for teenagers. And our main characters are teenagers and dealing with very, you know, like we get the stupid scene later on where right before they go to homecoming, one girl's like, uh, do you want to do you want to go for private time? And he's like, no, I want to go to the dance. And she goes, no, private time. And he's like, oh, oh, oh private time. And it's like. Why don't we take a walk in the park before the dance, okay? Hell no. I want to roll in the dance with my boy Unique. Unique is my date, not yours, boo. Calm down. Babe, we need some private time. Oh. Private time? Mm. I'm going to catch you guys uh, later. Once you are past, you know, maybe your, your early 20s, that's something that it's just kind of like, I've seen this before, you know, there, there's no nuance to this anymore. It's not even funny. And, and that's how I feel. And so I'm glad you read it up where it's trying to appeal to the masses, but it's trying to appeal to the younger masses, the mass of the youth, if that's a thing. Oh, yeah. I think that might be another reason I love it so much, because <laughs> I haven't seen a, a teen drama in forever, I would say. And this movie just kind of fires on all cylinders being a teen drama. <laughs> well, it has that certain level of melodrama to it. Oh, oh, a big time, big time. With all the characters we get with their one-dimensional personalities, it's like, you know, um, I, I guess another question I wanted to ask you, Zach, and this kind of leads right into it. Um, one of the biggest, or or maybe not biggest in terms of popularity, but one of the teen dramas or events or movies that I'm familiar with in my lifetime was the high school musical series. Mm. And I know you're a little more familiar with that than I am. Would, would you kind of put this, well, maybe not this in the same category because this isn't a musical and I don't think there was a slasher in high school musical. Uh, but did high school musical have those one dimensional characters as well? Is that the teen motif that everybody just gets a personality trait and all the interactions oh, yeah. of real people just come from how they work as a group? More, uh, I think there's a little bit more depth in the High School Musical series, but for the most part, most of the characters were they had their their niche, they had their thing that they okay. were into. They had to kind of like I don't want to say a clique, but they came from a very specific. Their they wore their hobbies on their sleeves. So you had like the jock, you had the nerd, you had the tough kid, you had the preppy girl, you had the loner, yeah. stuff like that. Okay, okay, because that's what this movie does to the fucking nines, like. The tough kid's the tough kid. The athlete's the athlete. You can't confuse any of that, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, no. It's, it, again, it's easily digestible. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, easy, easily digestible is another way to describe when I see it, I think, cliche. Because it's, oh, it's a one-dimensional, probably, is a better way to say it in terms of the characters. Because once it's so quickly established who each of these people are, it's just they they never break from that mold the rest of the movie and it's it's so beautifully corny at times i love it <laughs> oh it is it's uh there again it's it's that's the thing it's it's very corny i think that's the best way to describe this film it's oh. it's just it's it wears its oh god it wears its intentions on sleeve it's not really trying to do any it's not what's the word it's not even attempting to uh recreate the wheel but it's it's going through the motions. That's one thing. It does Absolutely. go through the motions. 
So, so what? With all this being said, you know, I think we set it up that you know they they prank Chauncey, leads to bad things. Chauncey goes to jail, gets out. Uh, they're all living their high school life. You know, we get the seeds of, uh, like I said, with the overflowing cliches, dating the football player, homecomings coming up. You know, gotta get to college, all that stuff. Gotta get out of the hood. And don't worry, we'll get to those lines, Zach, because they hit that hard. That you gotta get out of the hood. And once this is all set up. We get the first kind of big plot point, which is our DJ character sees Chauncey in Compton again. That he, he in the neighborhood, he realizes that Chauncey is back, and he tells all the friends about it, and they get a little worried because they're like, "Oh man, you know, this was." They all know to some extent that it was their fault that he they they impacted his life in that way. And once that's set up, the movie takes another dip to set up more characters, and probably my second favorite cliched character in this movie ungodly hot teacher lady yes <laughs> you know this movie has to have ungodly hot teacher lady <laughs> and and you know she's got the whole like the the dress that's tighter than you should ever be wearing in public type of thing going on she's passing out papers and and you know being very sly with the students and stuff like that and she's established, and she has a, a good supporting role throughout the rest of the movie, and we'll get to her involvement with Homecoming. That fucking dance choreography scene is ridiculous to me. But, uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, is a great way to put it. Independence, compassion, intelligence, beauty, leadership, and the movie, the one thing I'll give it is that the women aren't twerking in that scene. That yes. would have been too much. Like, if they were twerking, I would have been like, okay, this is a comedy, right? But they're actually doing a dance, and that's what makes it like it's wearing it on its sleeve, like you said. <laughs> so, incredibly hot teacher passes back some papers, and, you know, she's like, there was one perfect grade, and it was football dude. So, football dude's just perfect, you know? And she's passing back other papers, like, do better next time, blah, blah, blah. And she talks to, she wants to talk to DJ kid at the end of class. And she's, she does this, she says the most basic thing. She's like, your grades are slipping. You went from like an 85 to a 65. And you know, you're not going to get into a good college, blah, blah, blah. And in the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen in a movie, the response from DJ kid is to spout off statistics about murder rates in the African-American community. So is there something going on that I should know about? What you mean? I mean the decline in your grades this semester. You have gone from an 80% average in this class to a 65%. How about these percentages? The number one cause of death among young black men from 15 to 34, murder. 93% of murder victims are killed by someone who shares their race. And according to the CDC, Last year, young black men from 15 to 34 were 10 times more likely to die and murder than whites of the same age group. So what? You're going to tank your entire senior year and let the ills of the world determine your fate? My point is, my fate has already been decided for me. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is where my mouth became agape while watching this movie. Because he, he doesn't start with, my future's already set for me. The teacher just goes, why are your grades slipping? You know, are you not focusing on class? Like, what's the problem? Let me help. And he goes, did you know that this percentage? He, no, 
Even better, she goes, you went from an 80% to a 65%, and he starts his whole diatribe of statistics with, let me tell you about these percentages. And he lists off, like, multiple things, and and he actually sorts them. He, he references, like, the CDC, the like the, the National Health uh, Commission and stuff like that. And I'm just like, what the fuck am I seeing? <laughs> like, like, this became a PSA at the drop of a hat. And then when he's done, the teacher's like, so what? And he goes, so my future's already been given to me. And he throws the paper out and he leaves. And I'm like, this is something that I would have seen, like, years ago as a young kid, like, as a PSA. It, it's it's baffling to me. And I don't, I don't even do the research. I don't know if those statistics are true now, then, the time of the movie was filmed. But I, I was just flabbergasted by the fact that the movie goes full on, we're not even trying to like be subtle about <laughs> talking about the dangers of living in, in, the, in the ghetto, the hood, whatever you want to call it. They're just stating that. And that, that's where I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I, I'm so on board with this movie. <laughs> Did that scene stand out to you? Did that? Well, sure. The, of course, your, the, the, the rant. No, nothing. This film made my jaw drop. Really, it's that. It's just the. I imagine a certain certain section of the audience probably liked having those stats interjected here. I would imagine that probably placated a specific portion of the audience. That see, that's I think a part of this conversation that I knew we would have to bring up is I. I know I've blown up your spot before, Zach, by saying that we're both male. Um, I, I won't blow up your spot, Zach. I'm going to tell the audience that I am white. So I, I am not appeased by seeing a movie like this in the sense that I know, you know, I, I have some, uh, black friends that, that love representation like this. They love those, you know, I have some black friends that both love, you know, like the black Panther of today and the black exploitation of before. So that's not anything we're judging this on. I think, you know, or I should speak for myself. I'm judging this on the cliché if that's even a word of this movie. Um, and I'll leave it up to you if you want to reveal your race. But but I think you are right. And that's something I was thinking about on this second viewing, where there is a clear sense of representation, not not of, you know, certain diversity in movies, but of facts in this movie that, you know, a lot of movies get flack for not touching upon. So I will give you that for sure. And that's an important part of this conversation that that's, you know, not what we're coming at it from or I'm coming at it from. And no. so now cues back to say uh, who he identifies as, what his sexual orientation is, how he votes, and if he likes these statistics. Go! <laughs> I am a Samoan. I identify as a blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, I can, that's, that scene in the movie, it's, it's meant to add some realism to it. It's it's one of the few moments in the movie, like yes, how it's how the scene goes down is cartoony, but the introduction of that sort of factual element is supposed to bring a realism to it. I don't, I think it's it succeeds as much as one could hope in a movie like this. I I agree with you that it is trying to bring some realism, and I think with some other scenes later on, even though we don't get stats ever again, that's the only scene where we have actual like sourced statistics. We do get a lot of cliche dialogue about that same representation. And and we'll get to those. And and that's where I kind of think this movie gets a little more, not egregious, not grating, but it, it's almost trying to hit us over the head too hard with this idea. Yeah. It's, uh, well, uh, considering where the movie takes place in the cast, 
that's a theme that clearly the director or Absolutely. and the writer wanted to highlight on. Yes, and and you know that that's something that I, I think uh, if if you subscribe to the theory that I think we've only ever touched upon in a few episodes here and there, if you ever subscribe to the theory that like any movie in some way is a window into the mind of the director, this movie tells me that Dallas Jackson really wanted to get out of the hood. Really wanted to get out of the hood. <laughs> that's the True that. Yeah. Okay. So. So I do have to mention that, you know, uh, before the, the, the movie kind of goes on, we get there are a few scenes in this movie that I think are very much quick interjections that don't add much. I think it goes back to padding the time, the runtime, like we talked about. After this scene where, uh, you know, we get the stats from the DJ kid, we get another scene of Chauncey, who's been released from the system. And uh, he goes into, like, a convenience store. And, and the convenience store is being, or the cashier at least, is being run by an Asian woman. And the Asian woman... <laughs> oh, like, yes. Yeah, and it's shot, just, it focuses, like, you see the, because you don't see Chauncey's face for a long time until one of the greatest hard edits in film history, you get to see Chauncey's face. Um, for the first half of the movie, you don't get to see Chauncey's face. It's just him wearing all black with a hoodie, black hoodie pulled over his head, and it never, you never see him from the front. And so you, I'm pretty sure you see him come into the store, and then the camera, so it establishes he's there. You see the camera switch onto um, the 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 clerk, the Asian woman, and I, I think Chauncey like drops a crumpled up five dollar bill or something on the on the counter, and the Asian woman's like, "What do you want?" And then she looks up from the register or whatever she's doing, and you know you get those few seconds where she looks at him, she's waiting for a response, and then her face slowly changes, and she says something like. Oh, killer, they finally let you out. And he gets pissed, and he just wants cigarettes. From my, from my knowledge, Compton, East L.A., they're not small places. How does this one random store clerk know about no. Chauncey? Like, like, this is the most ridiculous thing to me. And it ties into the other thing I want to connect this to, is that as far as this movie tells us, there's Chauncey, Eight other people, three gangsters, a teacher, and a principal. That is the that is the only people that matter in all of Compton. <laughs> Everybody else has no agency to anything that's going on. And they make this world seem so small, emphasized by that scene with the shopkeeper. How the fuck does she know about Chauncey? And how would she know what Chauncey would look like when he's older? You can't, like, I, I, I mean, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but how are you going to know what somebody looks like when they're released from prison if you didn't know them as a kid? Like, what the hell is this? Well, is it the same person that gives him the hot dog? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I might have to do a correction on that because I remember the hot dog scene, but I don't remember if it was the same. I think it, I, I, know, I know the back, okay. I know, I know the background's the same. So I remember joking. I kind of remember laughing like, oh, they haven't sold it. They're still selling out of that same <laughs> box of uh, Altoids for four years. Okay. When I'm editing this, I will go back and look at that. Cause that's something I didn't think about, but you're right. We get the, when Chauncey is established in that first prank scene before the prank scene, he buys the hot dog for the homeless dude. And if that's the same woman, then that I will I will take back what I said. Then the movie's setting it up perfectly. That's a good that's a checkbox in the in the good column for film. Well, there's a lot of checkboxes in the good column for filmmaking. That that's at least then something that's set up where I didn't think it was. Oh, 
okay. Okay, Zach, you make a good point. So, so yeah, that, that scene stood out to me. But like I said, we'll do the correction. Hey, kids. It is the same shopkeeper four years apart. Props to Zach for picking up on that. Um, we... Okay, I, I do want to get into some of the characters because we have so many of them. And I know we've talked about... Like, there's not much to say about football dude. He's just football dude. Uh, we will have to talk about... I guess maybe with football dude, now's better time than any. You, you have to know, once we have football dude... In, established in the movie and we're leading up to homecoming weekend with the dance with the game you know that there's going to be a motivational halftime speech like like that's almost a necessity and we get that later on and i have to say this might be the most cliche tropish motivational halftime speech and it goes at the point i made previously that's only these eight kids in the whole school because the coach is basically saying something like this is homecoming. You're all seniors. For a lot of you, this is the last half of your last homecoming game coming up. Think about that. Think about that. Let it stew in your head. And what are we going to do? We're going to keep throwing the ball to football man. I have the games over. And what that means for many of you, it's your last half of your last homecoming game. Now, how you want to remember this day 20 years from now? As winners... Or losers! Winners! You got them right! That's why we gonna keep throwing the ball to tie. You're the golden goose, son. Got this, coach. Now let's get out there, get the victory, and secure your future as winners! Now bring it in! On my count! One, two, three! Cost it high! Let's go! And it's just like, how demotivating must that be to the rest of the team? For the coach to go, this is a very important game, so let's pass the ball to one player. Like, that, then, I get what it does in the movie, because we're focusing on football, man, but oh my god, if I was another character in that movie, I'd be like, fuck you, coach. Like, like there's scouts here for me, too. <laughs> Rob, Rob, come on, they're all non-playable characters, you know that. You're all NPCs? Sure. <laughs> yes. Oh, god. Oh, and then the other thing that kills me is that when Football Man sprains his ankle, we don't even know what happens at the rest of the game. We don't, I mean, we, we can assume they lose, but there's no explicit dialogue about what the rest of that game entails. Like, once Not Football really, Man no. is injured, the game might as well be canceled. It's insane. I like the I fact didn't, that, I didn't like I like it. I like the fact that even um, the background changes. Like, the, the game's happening at night, and then when he comes out of the locker room, it's day. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and we do get the great when uh, when homecoming happens the next day and and football man is picking up a uh, reprehensive girl. The the parents are like, "What happened? What'd you do to your ankle? You know, hurting your ankle during halftime is like, you know, getting fired from a job on your day off." And I'm like, "That's a fairly clever line." I'm like, "Finally, movie, you're doing something that's yeah, just scratching the surface." <laughs> Yeah, so so I, 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 there's nothing really much else to say about Football Man. He's just Football Man. He's almost a non-character in this movie. Like, his one-dimensionality is that he plays football, right? Pretty much, yeah. Like, yeah he's, he's, he he's really a one-note character. Yeah, he doesn't even have anything to do with, like, you know, I think maybe in the— No, it's not even him. It's the tough kid in the final scene when, when, the, when they release the killer, you know? 
Football dude. Oh yeah, football dude sucks. Okay, so other than Rob, football, dude, most of the characters yeah. in this film suck, Rob. Well, the one I want to go to, he sucks as a character in the movie, but not as a character. Who I call tough guy. Tough guy is the one who acts tough, and his primary outfit for the the scenes where we are first introduced to him is a bright yellow sweatshirt. This bright yellow sweatshirt, I don't think we ever see the back of it, so I don't know if there's anything written on there, but on on both breasts, on the two sides of the chest of this sweatshirt, on one side it says the word muerte, which of course means murder in Spanish, or death, and the other side is the silhouette of an AK-47. That's how we know he's a tough kid. Not just that he's acting tough and he's picking fights with football kid when they think Chauncey's back, but that he wears a sweatshirt that says death and a silhouette of a gun on the other side. If there was one piece of merchandise I could get from this movie, I would want that sweatshirt. (laughs) You just want that? That's the only thing you want? Yes. And this is where, in, in comparison to football guy, tough kid gets fleshed out a lot more because we get a great scene, probably my favorite scene in the movie, where the RZA, as the principal, takes him into the principal's office for fighting, locks the door behind him, RZA does this, and says, okay, if you're a tough kid, punch me in the face. And when RZA is able to dodge the punch, he knocks the wind out of tough kid and proceeds to go, why are you acting tough? Your parents are rich. They live in like the the, the something hills, like the, the bougie part of town, I even think he says. And we get the kid coming back like, you know, I got to act tough because they're not going to appreciate me. My parents are rich. And I'm like, oh, once again, it's another PSA level scene that I am absolutely eating up with how cliche it is. I love that scene in the movie because it, it, it is our biggest scene with RZA. And, you know, Riz is great, musician, acting, whatever. He's playing this monotone, you know, hard-ass principal. And um, my note, I think, is verbatim is, like, Riz punches the tough kid in the stomach because this is a tough school where abuse doesn't matter. It's encouraged. (laughs) Of course. Because how else would we know that they're in the hood? I know, right? They're they're getting beat down by the streets. Admit, I did like Riz's character. Like he was at least like uh, I don't want to say he was a character because he's one note too, but at least he was memorable. Yeah, yeah, he stands out in the sense of how he he actually has a role to play in the majority of the movie that is himself. I feel like all the other characters that do have multiple scenes, they're just playing off the information that they get. If that makes sense, like n- nothing about them changes until. Chauncey comes back until someone gets murdered, until a party happens, on, on, you know, when someone gets hit on someone else and stuff like that. Where Riza is kind of like, he's the only one that has his own agency. And then, of course, you know, how I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know this for sure, that it had to be the Riza's idea that we get the scene where him, an incredibly hot teacher, drink from a flask at homecoming together. Yes. <laughs> like, like that had to be, I, hell, that might not even be a, a scene in the movie. They might have just been filming candidly. And they were like doing, like the actors were doing something on screen. And the cameraman was just like, oh, look, these two are getting together. And they were like, perfect, put it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> just, just outtakes. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love that scene. It's a tough school where abuse is a, a form of a teaching tool. Absolutely. 
And and then that's kind of the bummer is Tough Kid kind of falls off after that. I mean, what, Tough Kid and someone we haven't talked about, uh, Vengeance Girl, as I yes. call her. Uh, they team up and they start to do bad things. And, and then Vengeance Girl even throws Incredibly Hot Teacher off the stage at the end of yeah. the movie. Yeah. Like, just knocks her off the stage. And I'm like, this this came out of nowhere. And I'm like, is she the murderer? Are they doing a triple bait and switch? <laughs> Oh, oh, man. But yeah, Vengeance Girl, I guess, is the next one to go to. She has nothing to do in this movie. She's established at yelling at Football Man because she's like, Football Man, I want to be with you. And Football Man's like, no, we broke up. And then she's like, okay, I got to get back at Reprehensive Girl because she stole my man type of thing. And that's her motivation, the whole movie, that she teams up with Tough Kid who doesn't like Football Man. But that doesn't really go anywhere. You know, that that only kind of is just a, a... a little, not even a cherry on top, like a cherry seed on top when the big final action scene happens at the homecoming night. Yeah, that, that kind of, uh, I wasn't too keen on that. Yeah, Vengeance Vengeance Girl doesn't have much to do and doesn't, oh! Vengeance Girl does get kicked out of the homecoming dance. She's part of that when they're practicing, right? And then she fights Reprehensive Girl in the bathroom, <laughs> oh, in the bathroom and the she bathroom. gets kicked out and then incredibly hot teachers like that's it get your stuff and you're out like you're not in contention for for homecoming and that's the other thing when this first when that scene first started when when the girls are dancing in the gym and hot teacher is like you're representing passion intelligence leadership and they're doing like all this seductive dancing like i said everything short of twerking i'm like oh this is the cheerleading squad no they're doing a dance for homecoming queen candidates So the incredibly hot teacher has the has the ability to say vengeance girl since you were mean to another girl you're nobody can vote for you for homecoming queen like uh, that that threw me for a loop I could have I would have I was so convinced they were the cheerleading squad and that is not the case <laughs> yeah yeah I, that was the one where like it's like who said that? it seems like half the class got voted for prom queen got nominated at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half the class. And I think it's like at the end when they do the dance on stage, there's five girls up there. And I think definitely two, if not three of them are in our main group of eight. And it's just like, how fucking small is this universe? (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Entire world is about uh, 30 people. Intelligence, beauty, leadership. Hip shaking, blow a kiss to the audience, intelligence, <laughs> leadership, compassion, confidence. And I'm like, what the fuck am I seeing? <laughs> I know, right? Oh, man, that's great. Um, we get we get some more flashbacks. I think as the movie continues, we get um, some more features of, 
of Chauncey being back. I know I think a few more characters see him. Um, I know there's a scene somewhere where uh, our main character, Reprehensive Girl, runs from Chauncey, and that's when she goes to uh, Michael T. Williams, the detective, who I know recently from watching Heat, where he also played a detective. Um, and they pull the scene directly from Get Out when a character goes to the detectives and explains something outlandish, and the detective laughs at them. And Michael T. Williams is like, oh, this is goofy. You think he's come back for vengeance, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, without hard evidence, I can't do anything. And she says to him, the streets talk every day, detective. You just got to listen. <laughs> yep. And it's like, oh, look at that. You got the little girl giving the words of wisdom to the older dude who's out of touch. Oh, man. I did hear that Chauncey got into it with Easy Hicks yesterday. The same guy they found dead on 30th Street last night. Where did you hear that? The streets talk every day, detective. You just got to listen. And uh, I love that. Michael T. Williams comes back a little later on. Of course, he's kind of our, our you know, kind of hero character near the end. But the other thing that we get set up is that from uh, Slutty Girl. I think I called her Slutty Girl before. Yeah. Slutty Girl, sexually active girl who were introduced to stuffing her bra in one of the yes. first scenes. She is excited because at Big Boy's radio station, another famous person we have in this movie... Um, as he is a radio host, an actor, a producer in real life, and he plays the radio host in this. Just for our audience, Big Boy with a Y, not Big Boy with an I. So Big Boy with an I is the guy from Outcast. So the guy who, you know, one of the guys who wrote Hey Ya. This is Big Boy with a Y, the producer and the radio host. So not the same dude. He is going to have a rapper who is not real. He's made up for this movie called Unique come and be on his show. And uh, slutty girl hears about this and that's kind of her motivation for the first two scenes we see her in that she has to go and meet Unique and when this happens Zach this is another another point in the movie where I, my mouth was just agape Unique does his radio show of course when Unique's talking to Big Boy what are they discussing? getting out of the hood you gotta get out of the hood he leaves the studio through the back door. There's a bunch of groupies there. You know, some of them have signs, I think. You got Slutty Girl. You got Reprehensive Girl. And you got, I guess someone we haven't introduced, um, Latina Girl. That, that's, her yes. that's her character. She's, she's Latina Girl. Um, and she, they're all together. They want to meet Unique as soon as Unique comes out. And, and I, think, I think I'm doing the scene justice, Zach, when I say... Slutty girl immediately runs up to him, starts grinding on him, and he goes, how old are you, and are you ready to fuck? Like, it's that <laughs> much. fast. And it's... Oh, it's... <laughs> Where were you when I was shooting my first video? Can you show me so much you love me? Why don't you show me what you're working with? Alright, damn, girl. Let's check this. I'm about to hit the studio. You want to roll? God, yes! Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. How old are you? I just turned 18 last month. <laughs> cool. And I want to talk about this because my mouth was agape that it happened that quickly. Because literally, she she grinds on him. 
She's like, she gets real close to him, and they they have some useless dialogue, and then she turns around and sticks her ass out at his junk, and then he goes, how old are you? I just turned 18. Cut to the friends going, ooh, because she is not 18. And then he's like, let's go. You want, you want to ride with me? And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is insane. The other thing that this movie doesn't <laughs> seem to care about at all is that Unique the rapper is being baited into statutory rape. Yep. The movie does not care about that in the slightest. Well, he's fodder. That's the reason why. Yes, yes. He does get murdered later on um, because DJ Guy likes uh, Slutty Girl because that's the twin sister of, you know, girl he loved that died at the beginning. But but that that's the thing that kind of gets me where I'm like, when it when I first saw it and she lies to him about her age and, you know, they're... She's like, I don't give it up on the first date, but if you come to homecoming, I'll fuck you all night, you know, if you have to perform and we get a million bajillion hits on the Internet. And he's like, OK. And I'm like, are they going to go anywhere with this? And they don't. I mean, he does get murdered, but. Well, they all they all for the most they all for the most part get their comeuppance. True. But but the movie just ignores statutory rape as a concept. And yeah. That's very strange to me, especially in this day and age, where it's like, you know, in in terms of, you know, PC culture, I'm not saying this movie's PC to any extent, but it's just so strange to have a character clearly lie to another and bait them into statutory rape. This this is insane to me. Yeah, it's it's peculiar. It's it's actually would not be happy with this. She's not happy with most things. Well, you know what? The other thing that I have to say is why we shouldn't call Mariska Hargitay on this one is because Mariska Hargitay would immediately point-blank execute Unique. Because that's the point of her character in SVU, that the victim's always right. So Unique would go, no, she told me she was 18. Like, it's, it's not my fault. And she would go, death. And his blood would splatter on the pavement. That's, that's how SVU would handle this. So I'm, not, I'm also not okay with that, you know? Um... But that's a discussion for another time. I'm more focusing on the fact that this movie ignores that concept completely. And that's very strange to me. Yeah, it's it's weird that it's introduced. But also, you also need an element of... It's weird. Like, you have a sex element, but it's not amongst the kids. Well, except for that one part you said where it's like, oh, we're going to do something behind the, the yes. school. Yes. And it, but, uh, it, it so- is kind of... It is kind of pervaded by some of the kids where, at least not in doing it, but the outward aspect, you know, with the slutty girl, um, that scene we mentioned when um, Vengeance Girl attacks Reprehensive Girl in the uh, bathroom and Incredibly Hot Teacher breaks them up and she's like, what are you fighting about? And, and Reprehensive Girl is like, she's, she's angry because she thinks I stole her man. And Incredibly Hot Teacher says, is this true? And Vengeance Girl goes, why? You want him too? Because everybody knows you fuck seniors. What the hell is this all about? She just came in and attacked me. Why? She thinks I stole her man. Is this true? Why, you want him too? Because everybody knows you fuck seniors. And I'm just like, (laughs) whoa! I'm like, this this movie is throwing so much at me. (laughs) This escalated quickly. Yes, absolutely. And at the the same time, when when the fight's happening and the teacher is breaking up the fight, there's like... Four high school men standing in the doorway videotaping the inside of the women's bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. 
so so yeah, we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to get to unique again because that's a little motivation at the end. He does get killed. He gets his comeuppance, as you said. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, we we get a big set piece in this movie as all the characters are starting to learn that Chauncey is really back and they're starting to believe it. They're starting to get paranoid, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, we get a party the, the, the night before homecoming and the game and the dance, you know, that type of stuff. Um, I think it's, that's the one character I was confused. Yeah, he's party dude. Cause I don't, he didn't have any motif other than to throw this party. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have party dude, before we get party, dude, we get our first murder scene, I'm pretty sure, where the gangsters from the beginning get, or the thugs from the beginning get murdered. And this is where we get a little bit of gore because the murderer, you know, we think it's Chauncey or the movie wants us to think it's Chauncey. He has a gun pointed at the gangster and he he's the gangster's like, come on, shoot me, pull the trigger. And the guy lowers the gun. He goes, I knew you couldn't do it. And when he's walking away, the the killer picks up a knife and literally just cuts his stomach open like like wrong autopsy direction and yep. we do get a good amount of blood and that's where I'm kind of like oh is this movie gonna pick up are we gonna get a lot more violence now nope we get a party before homecoming weekend and the party which I said earlier we had to talk about I don't think I've ever seen a movie before do the bare minimum. To try and explain to the audience that this is a banger. Because the way that the movie sets up this party is that it is the party before homecoming. And, you know, he's like, everybody's going to be there. We all got to get here. And then we get to the actual house. And, what, there can't be more than 13 people. Eight of them are our main characters. There's two lights that are slowly strobing through different colors to give the rave effect. And it's just... It's just pathetic. <laughs> I it's love very, it, man. But it's, 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 it's very, it's very, it's very minimalistic. Oh, oh, uh, minimal. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Minimalistic to the nth degree. Like I said, the I, it's what I think of as the bare minimum for sure. Because if they made it, if they had any less amount of people there, it would have just been our main characters. But they could have, you know. I guess, I guess the comparison that I have or we have is the um, Euphoria party scenes and they they filled those houses with people you know oh yeah those looked like real parties this is i'm sure what they were trying to do and they didn't even come close (laughs) (laughs) of course you know the party goes on we get some drama with some of our characters we get more establishment that dj guy wants to get with slutty girl um latina girl starts to have problems with latino guy who I guess is also kind of nerdy guy, but yeah. the only thing I get that is because he has glasses. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> like, there's not much else to him, and and they have drama, and then you know, uh, party guy, he goes out. Oh, another four scene. He walks outside of his house, and and he holds his phone up, and he's like doing like a, a, a like a sweeping shot, and he and he says to the camera, "This one's for the gram," and it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. And then he sees Chauncey, or who he thinks is Chauncey in the distance, which might be Chauncey, because I think DJ Man yeah. is still inside at that point. So it very well could be Chauncey. And he freaks out. He goes in, he gets his bat, and he runs outside, and Chauncey's not there anymore. They calm him down. Uh, he tells his bouncer, because he has a bouncer for this party. Yeah, well, I, don't know, I don't even know if, it's a, if, if he's a high school student or not. I think he's, he's like looks like a grown man with dreadlocks. 
Pretty and, much. And he tells the bouncer, he's like, that's it. He's like, don't let anybody else in. Because he, he, he's, he's worried, you know. He wants his party to be good, I, I guess. And, and after that, uh, Vengeance Girl and Tough Guy show up. And they're looking to get in the party. And the bouncer's like, I can't let you in. Party Guy said, I can't let you in. And the next thing we know, Venge- uh, Vengeance Girl and Tough Guy fire off a round of a cap gun yes. to get everybody to clear out of the party. And when we see him doing this, he's in the house. Yep. Like, so I can only imagine that when the bouncer said to Tough Guy, we're not letting you in, Tough Guy drew the gun on him, the fake, the cap gun, said, let me in, and then fired off the rounds of the cap gun in the house and got everybody to clear out and screamed, oh, you're all afraid of a cap gun. Ha, 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 ha. Hard cut. Hard cut from this exact scene and that exact dialogue to football guy and reprehensive girl driving back home and them saying, gotta get this scholarship. I gotta get out of the hood. Don't worry, baby. If I get this NFL deal, I'm going to come back for you and get you out of the hood. I can't rely on that. I got to get out of the hood on my own. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. It goes from, like, actual violence and cop sirens with people running out of a party to a hard cut. It's it's the hardest cut. Uh-huh. I'm going to put the clip in, folks. Hey, let's go, bro. Ronnie said can't let y'all in. What? Oh, no. No, we coming up in this bitch. Excuse me. to get a scholarship somewhere, even if it's partial. I work three jobs if I have to, but I gotta get out of here. Listen, if I get that scholarship and go to the NFL, I'm coming back here and I'm gonna get you. I swear. That's sweet, Ty, but I can't depend on that. I just feel like if I don't get out of here after we graduate, I'm gonna be stuck here forever. It seems like everything in the world is trying to keep us in the hood. And we all just trying to get out. Yeah, before it takes us out. There is no editing that Robert Zack did. This is the movie just doing a hard cut from one people running from their lives to talking about getting out of the hood. And I'm okay with that because if you're at a party and gunshots go off, what's the first thing you're going to think? Or maybe later that night, man, I got to get out of here. This is dangerous. But it just drops on us the most cliche dialogue once again of I got to get out of the hood. And that's even where she says the line, you know, something like, or he says, the football guy says, we all just trying to get out of the hood. And she goes, yeah, before it takes us out. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, oh. And I, I don't know if it's ever happened to me. I was starting to get a headache and it actually felt good. Because <laughs> I was blown away by what this movie was doing to me. <laughs> it was that good, eh? Oh, man, absolutely. So after that scene, I think everything starts to... Um, kind of come together. Well, the next thing, of course, is the the football game, and we we talked about that. Him football man spraining his ankle, but then we kind of get our homecoming night, which is our final uh, set piece, I guess I should say. And this all starts. The kickoff of this is that uh, the detective Michael T. Williams is 
actually looking into the um, what he heard from the girl about Chauncey, you know, threatening them or whatever. And he goes to Chauncey's house. The mother answers the door. She's all upset because she's like, oh, my son just got out of prison. Why do you want to bother him now? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, where has your son been? That type of stuff, like the usual questions. And she says, he's been here with me the whole time, ever since he got out. And he goes, he's never left your sight. And she pauses. And she says the greatest thing I think you can say to a detective. Don't question me. That is literally his job. (laughs) She has a vodka bottle in her hand, telling the detective not to do his job. And not only is that funny, we get a great, you know, back and forth. You know, once again, it's it's all fine filmmaking. He follows the 180 degree rule. Everything's in focus. We go, we're going back and forth from Lady of Rage to Michael T. Williams. She's angry. He's keeping his calm, asking the questions. And when she starts going off on her rant, it cuts back to the detective. And he's just kind of stoically looking at her. She's still going off. Leave us alone. You don't got to bother him. You pig. You're wrapped in bacon. You know, all that stuff. And he goes, Chauncey. And the movie cuts back to the mother with the first time we see Chauncey in the film shirtless head tilted down at a 45 degree angle with his eyes protruding out of his face. Like I, I cannot explain to you his eyes are like out of his eye sockets. It's the, one of the weirdest looking things I've ever seen. And the movie plays a sting like it's supposed to be a jump scare. I just want to know his whereabouts last he night. He been with me. He just got home, and he been with me every minute since his release. Now what? You sure about that, ma'am? <sighs> Don't question me, detective. My son done paid his debt. He done paid his debt to society. Now, unless you have a warrant, you need to get the fuck up off my property. Johnson. Word on the street is you had an altercation with Easy. Leave me alone! I laughed so hard, I needed to pause the movie, Zach. I'm not <laughs> kidding you. That this, profound. This is... I, I I think that when we edit this episode, I know, Zach, that you like to do the... um. We have our little VHS thing as our logo, and then you put, like, the poster of the movie in the, in the box. Uh. We should put this picture of Chauncey in the box. Because this, to me, is the movie. This crazy-looking motherfucker who's hardened from his youth in jail with the with the sting of the jump scare. Oh, my God. Even when I knew it was coming when I watched this yesterday, oh, it got me. I even rewound it and watched it again. You liked it that much? Oh, it is. It is one of the funniest things I've seen in a while because... It is it is played so straight, like a like a lot of this movie is. It is played for a jump scare, and it just comes off as hardcore comical. And I absolutely love it. If you if everything we've described about this movie so far, if you don't think you'll like it, watch it for this moment. <laughs> this might be the thing I want to like get a uh, get a gif of and start sharing. Like you got the Ryan Gosling gif from Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I want I want the hard cut to Chauncey gift. <laughs> oh jeez. It is one of the greatest hard cuts I've ever seen. But of course, that's the first time we see Chauncey. 
we do some stuff at the dance, you know, like we said, we get the breakup scene between the, the Latino and the Latina and, and Unique does a performance and then he statutorily rapes slutty girl before he dies. But another thing we get later, just focusing on Chauncey, is that it cu- cuts back to him and his mom in their house. And I should say that when it cuts back, the mother is still, you know, playing her best Sarah Palmer, drinking while just sitting in front of the TV. Chauncey is still at the same facial expression. Even though he's not facing the cop, he's just watching TV all gruff looking with his eyes protruding out of his head. And the mother says something like, it's your homecoming. Like, I, I know you don't want to be with them, but we can still celebrate, right? And, and then Chauncey gets up, drinks ketchup straight from the bottle. We'll get to that in our snacks. The mother comes into the kitchen and she's like, come on, give your mama a dance. And he doesn't want to. And then she just is, he's not saying anything. And she's getting angrier and angry at him for no reason to when she slaps him. He chokes her out and she's like, kill me, kill me. He doesn't kill her and then leaves the house. What the fuck is this scene, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's another red herring. It, it is, but did we need a red herring where we see this dude drink ketchup straight out of the bottle? Well, he's supposed to be crazy. <laughs> God damn. And then the mother saying, kill me? Like, like her, her baby coming back home did nothing for her? She's still all depressed and whatnot about something that wasn't her fault? And, oh, I, it, it's so out of place. But, of course, Chauncey leaves the house. The cop follows him. And that's where I'm with you, Zach. That's the red herring where, you know, now he's out. We know he's out of the house. He could be doing these murders. So then we get to kind of the last bit of it. Homecoming Queen and King are announced, I guess. And uh, not surprisingly, it's Football Man and Reprehensive Girl, the two main characters of the movie almost. Announced by RZA in the most lackluster way possible. I really liked that. Um... Oh, and there's that scene where the hot teacher's like, now introducing the principal to announce your homecoming king and queen. And Riza comes out on stage and they're all booing. And then he goes, thank you for the warm welcome. And someone <laughs> in the background goes, get off the stage. And he just looks at them for like a solid five <laughs> seconds and then just continues. <laughs> great performance. Great performance. Yeah, he's, he's fun in this. What little screen time he has. Yes. And then he announces it. They're all, you know, like, okay, we're going to give them, we're going to do a dance. Ten minutes, they're going to come on, accept their crown, whatever the hell they have to do. Um, uh, we get a cut, I'm pretty sure, then to uh, Michael T. Williams, the detective, still looking for uh, Chauncey out and about. And I don't think he's anywhere near homecoming. He's in some alley or something. And we get another, some, another thing that's played as a jump scare where the detective runs into, like, a drunk dude, like a drunk white dude in the alleyway. And he apparently knows him and he's like, Ralph, stop drinking and go home. And cause he has his gun out. And so he's like, don't shoot, man. Don't shoot. He's like, Ralph, stop drinking and go home. And the guy like slurs some words, but you can very clearly say as the drunk guy leaves screen, he goes, black lives matter, man. Don't, don't shoot. Don't, hands are up. Please don't shoot me. Raleigh, go home. Stop drinking. Six Johnson. Okay. Black Lives Matter, man. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, this This is where he's trying to do comedy. It's not as comedic as the thing he's trying to do seriously, but this is clearly where he's trying to fit that in. 
and then of course I think the next shot is uh, reprehensive girl gets chased by Chauncey the murderer we don't know it's not Chauncey yet um, she rips off his mask but the movie doesn't show it like like they get to the roof and she like rips off his ski mask and it just cuts to her reacting to it and I'm like oh my god we all know who it is why are we hiding this and then she she somehow is dangling off the roof at one yeah. point like like she's hanging onto like an electric box on the side of the roof and and someone like gets her down or it, it's it's so this is when the pacing just like gets ridiculous like it's so quick cuz it's like oh the movie's like everything's coming together isn't it and then it kind of all just fizzles out when the i think that you know the the murderer is trying to get someone but the whole kind of group of people are there and and then the detective shows up and and the detective stops the murderer from going after somebody and and then you know he the the murderer gets the upper hand on the detective and he un, he un, he reveals that his face is uh is is DJ man and he's like it's all your fault you know this is the motivation which you understood 115 minutes ago but now I'm going to tell the camera the the motivation and he gets the upper hand on the detective and of course in another cliche beat who stops the murderer from killing the detective? None other than Chauncey. So Chauncey gets his moment to kind of redeem himself. Maybe not redeem, but to show to everybody he's not the murderer. And DJ Man is the murderer. It is terribly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then there's some, there's some cleanup where, you know... I guess the one thing I did really, I thought actually worked that that was cliche, but was a great kind of reflection is that, you know, when Chauncey gets, I guess we should say Chauncey is the kid does kill that other kid. He is the one, whether baited into a prank or not, Chauncey does push that kid off the banister and causes her to fall to her death. That does happen. So Chauncey is not completely framed or anything. But, of course, all the other kids are like, you know, we had no part in this. Chauncey did it, whatever. And Chauncey has the stutter, and they call him, you know, slow and all that stuff. So he kind of gets all all the blame for it. And in that scene, like we said at the beginning, the mother is crying. Like, my baby's good. He didn't do anything. And she's freaking out. And that's her descent into the alcoholism that we see in the movie. Once DJ Kid is arrested and they know that he's the murderer, we get the scene of the detective and other cops at his house in his room. And his mother is saying the same stuff that Chauncey's mother was saying at the beginning. Like, you can't take him away. He's a good boy. He wouldn't do that. And I really like that kind of reflection at the beginning and the end of the movie. Is that we actually do get some type of arc of the movie. Not of a character, but of the movie. <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, trying to get out of the hood is... You're always trying to get out of the hood. I think that's the arc, you know? And your mama just wants best for you. The yeah. thing I did want to ask you, Zach, is did you notice that in that last scene when DJ Kid's mother is screaming about this and the cop comes in and they're in his room and the cop's, like, about to go into his closet? The mother's like, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Because as we've seen through just slight flashes throughout the rest of the movie, the killer has a list of the eight kids and he's crossing them off as he's killing them. And he has like a shrine. So does this mean that the mother knew the shrine was there? Did the, do you think the mother knew that DJ kid was the killer? Uh, or do you think she was saying, don't go in there just because she didn't want probably, privacy? Probably, th probably that. 
Okay, that's that's the one thing on the second viewing. I was like, wait, like, did she was she aware that he had like a murder shrine in his closet? <laughs> Rob, with the point of this movie, anything is possible. Anything is possible, and that is a great segue into the last segment of this movie. The literal last shot of this movie is once all said and done, we see Chauncey out and about. He's he's still in the same black you know hoodie and all that stuff, and I think he's now finally walking along the streets. And he's free. He doesn't have to be looked at by at least these these eight people that saw him at homecoming that think he's a threat, even though everybody who wasn't aware of this might think he's still a murderer, you know, out of juvie. And he takes his hoodie off. He looks directly at the camera and smiles. Chauncey takes a page out of the Indo Raptor from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Looks directly at the camera. He doesn't really smile. He smirks. And then the end credits roll. What the fuck? Why does it end with him smiling into the camera? Because he didn't get out of the hood. He should only be happy if he got out of the hood. He never got out of the hood. He's deeper in the hood than ever before. <laughs> maybe maybe he feels uh, validated or vindicated. that He's no longer uh, seen as a menace. Uh, okay, I... I was thinking about it. That that's a good point. I was also thinking about it as kind of the the director winking at us through this character, going, "Ha, you thought I was the killer, didn't you? But I'm not." <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of like he was just beating us over the head again with his M Night Shyamalan like twist. And I I think that's why I said this was a great segue into it because with what this movie is, it could mean anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It is it is almost a fruitless endeavor to try and dissect the the meaning of that ending of this movie. Just as it is to dissect the meaning of anything else in here, past we gotta get out of the hood. We gotta get out of the hood, Zach. So All right. I think uh, I did wanna say, Zach, uh that uh now that we've said this many times about getting out of the hood. I know I've said it on this podcast before. I was born in the Bronx, and I got out of the hood. Oh, jeez. So, so you can, too. <laughs> we all can. Yep. I think Zach, Zach was born in the hood in a different state, probably, and he got out of the hood. And we both ended up in the same place. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So, so I guess with all that being said, um, let's go with now 13 out of 10 American Masterpiece. Would you agree? <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, I guess this is a better time than any because the next question I was going to ask you probably dives right into our questions. If you don't have anything else, I want to start with late night, because as I think, you know, we've said before off mic and maybe only once or twice very briefly. Late night is the recommendation, right? Where cinemodities is the classification. Yes. And so I think that's what I want to know is with everything we said, superficial, cliche, it wears itself on its sleeve. It's going for something we've seen before. Would you watch this, one, with anybody else as a late night, or two, ever again? Um, no, probably none of the above. I, I, I could not recommend this as a late night movie. It's too shallow and not for any sort of uh, specific reason. It's just shallow because that's just the materials they had. And that's they're instructed to craft. So no, it's gonna be a no for late night movie. Okay, for me for late night, I'm going yes, absolutely. Well, we knew that. 
Of course, because I, I think this movie is almost a laugh a minute. <laughs> I think, of course, it is a know your audience. You know, if you can find someone who is uh, willing to, you know, or, or not, maybe not willing to, but realizes the the shallowness that I, I, I think this would be a great, you know, late night, quick, you know, hour, 27 minute watch of of just the goofiness of it. And, uh, you know, trying to get out of the hood with somebody else. It's uh, it'll be good fun for sure. Um, I guess before we go on to cinemodities, direct all your hate mail to me for saying get out of the hood this many times. Yes. But I haven't, I, don't, I still, with how many times I've said it, I don't think I've said it more than they say it in the movie. So, so keep that in mind. <laughs> Cinemodity status, I'm going to give it also a no. Oh, I have to give it a definitely because how can something so shallow exist? Easily. Uh, this is, this is I. That's the thing I'm kind of confused on. I I don't know. I I don't know if I've ever seen something this shallow that had a sincerity to it. Maybe like Garden that's State. <laughs> this is like that's my literal note. Cinematis definitely. How can something so consistently cliche exist? That that's what really blows my mind about this movie. So I'm going yes to both. Zach's going no to both. Perfect. <laughs> we're, we're back on track. <laughs> All right. Well, then I guess we have to ask about our snacks. Um, I, I only had a few. Do you want to go first? I don't know how many you had. Ketchup. Ketchup. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, we had to, uh, of course. Well, ketchup straight from the bottle, right? Sure. So I, I don't want to have, have to undersell it from what we described before. He literally opens the fridge. There's almost nothing in the fridge. There's a bottle of ketchup on the door that he picks up, opens the top. It's a squeeze top, and then squeezes it into his mouth from a distance. Like, he waterfalls it. He doesn't even, like, suck on it or anything. Like, we see the ketchup go into his mouth. I love ketchup much as the next guy, but that's disgusting, right? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Straight that would ketchup. not be a meal. Oh, oh. And I don't even, I don't even know if you could, like, sure, he was in juvie for a while, but... How do you get a taste for ketchup? They're not giving you, like, a bottle of ketchup in prison, right? They might give you a little bit of ketchup. I can't imagine they're giving everybody their own bottle. <laughs> and he grew like the taste. Oh, of high fructose corn syrup. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I know I've said it to Zach before, but people always say to me, how can you like ketchup and not like tomatoes? And I pull out the ketchup bottle from my fridge, and I point to the first ingredient, which says high fructose corn syrup, corn and syrup. I go, that's why. This is more sugar than anything else. That's why I can like one and not the other. So yeah, ugh, ugh, straight ketchup. Ugh. Ketchup straight from the bottle. Perfect. Do you have any others? I did not, Rob. So uh, the only other ones I had uh, were uh, in the first scene when Football Man gets introduced, when a Vengeance Girl comes up to him and starts yelling at him, you can actually see that he has a juice box in his hands. Oh, yeah. Like a, yeah, like a little tiny juice box. And I couldn't tell. It wasn't seemed not to be labeled. Like maybe they ripped the label off or whatever. So I don't know if it was like apple juice or fruit punch or anything like that. But he has like this, this, this teeny tiny juice box like as he's walking home from school. And I'm like, okay, juice boxes, right? We haven't had juice boxes in the restaurant before. And, and that's something that would go over well in our sin emodities portion of the restaurant. And hell, Zach, why not for our adults... We have ketchup straight from the bottle. And for our sin emodities, we have juice boxes filled with ketchup. So they make less of a mess trying to get into their mouths. What do you think? <laughs> It'll work. 
they're more the kids are more likely to do that. I think like if you gave that's an interesting point. If you gave a kid a juice box full of straight ketchup, would they like it? <laughs> <laughs> and my last thing for the restaurant is if we ever I know we've talked about it a little bit. Um, if we ever have any awards in our restaurant, and I think the one that comes to my mind is. I think that we gave out an award for the customer that complains the loudest in any given dinner service. Whenever we have to announce any awards in our restaurant for our customers, for our, um, I don't know, Vox Lux animatronics, for our employees, anything like that, I would like to hire Riza as principal herd to announce the awards the same way he announces, with the same <laughs> muted, like, like, discourse that he announces the homecoming king and queen with. And then we get Riza in the restaurant, and he probably yep. won with best, right? I think so. Absolutely. So we got ketchup in juice boxes and bottles and Riza. Oh, it's perfect. The Riza wrap. <laughs> All righty, Rob. So how are we going to end this week's episode? Or do you have some more uh, stuff no, for us? No, I, I think that was it. I think, you know, tune in next week for uh, another movie where we'll have a – uh, a rapper involved. I believe next week's episode, the rapper is going to have a, a main role rather than, you know, uh, the weekend or RZA in these supporting roles. So it'll fit a little more true to the idea of this series. Um, but other than that, to play the music out in reverse, I was really torn because I think there's one thing that's absolutely obvious and I don't really want to go for it. Because if this movie's called Thriller, well, we didn't even make the joke. It's a thriller. You know, we don't talk about Michael Jackson. I this know, whole episode. we avoid it. <laughs> but I, I was tempted, of course, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But I think we have to take some of the, the music from this movie. And if we're going to play any music from this movie, it's going to be, it's going to have to be Unique's Hoochie Love. And yes, that is the name of the music. I want to give me some of that Hoochie Love. <laughs> So what do you think about some unique in reverse? Some hoochie love. Too. Let me get some of that hoochie love.